take the example of ramayana ramayana has so many interpretations mm-hmm. so many of them and they evolved over 4000 5000 years in every language every poet have written it in their way Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you here with me today. And one thing I really wish we had is the Native American way of naming people or identifying people because I feel we're too bound by labels right now. We're too caught up with the brands that we associate with um and as a result the brands kind of give us this vested sense of importance or this sense of achievement. based on the quality or the price of the brand that you are seen wearing or driving or uh using at home and as a result it creates this cycle which is very hard to escape from and as a result you have these names and these labels that we identify with which then further kind of make that attachment stronger right whether it's the kind of food you eat and as a result you identify with a certain group of people who eat that food or you do a certain kind of sport and as a result the equipment is endorsed by this brand who further enhances your visibility within that group and i think if we i think if we're done with it i think it will uh, go one step in the right direction of breaking down these um these ideas of separating us from each other and making us feel more important or less important or more successful or less successful and i don't know you know until we try it we won't know or was there ever a time where there was this kind of what's the word is it egalitarian or is it this level i don't know is this kind of heading towards communism is where everything um is stripped down and we're just kind of told by the state what to do what to eat what to wear and everyone makes the same amount of money and there's only one place where you can spend it no um boxes of food have brands on it it's just a tomato is a tomato and maybe that's what a slow way of living will look like is it or is capitalism got the potential of bringing us down to a level where we aren't kind of shitting on someone else to feel better about ourselves or uh, having this 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 constant pursuit of a better way of life or a better sense of value in society based on what other people perceive you as and coming to the native americans right the names they gave like long feet or fast runner or um you know missing coyote or whatever the names they had i think there's something to it if we can revamp the system because it could be like cheating ceo or i mean that's everyone um that's not fair is it it's not fair there are some good ceos who are manipulative not cheating and then you have other things right like um I don't know in, in, in any field if you just think take a moment now and I don't want to sort of impose my names which I think are fucking fantastic to start with on you but I think you can put your own name like I was just thinking I'm going gray in the beard and that's why I kind of trim it uh, because I I I don't care frankly but maybe I'll be seen as older than my age because gray is associated with that but I think I love gray because unlike black and white which is associated with extremes with dark and light or with good and bad in all sorts of themes that we see i think there's this sense of gray in opinions as well where there's this place where you are uh, with with the possibility of change with the possibility of communication with the possibility of reevaluating where you stand and i think gray of course 50 shades of gray being the best book i've ever read <clears throat> yeah um is a great color even suits gray suits look really cool I think gray is a really good color so maybe I'll be graybeard or gray stubble I think that's a good name because I think gray adds wisdom to what you're saying I think um black and white have been either celebrated or demonized too much and I think gray is the new um shade or the new place or the new 
uh, midpoint. And I think I'd be happy to be called Greybeard uh, and maybe not Sandeep Rao or Sopi Rao. And that would be a conversation starter, if nothing else, right? Because, I mean, maybe it's obvious. We're like, oh, that's Greybeard. Why is he called Greybeard? Because he's got a Greybeard. Well, no. Is there more to that story than just Greybeard? Like, I, I don't know. Will people be more curious? Um, because if it's more obvious, like, you know, saggy something or or missing toe, there should be a way of giving more depth to these names. Um, because the moment you talk about your name, uh, they're automatically, I think it's gotten a little lazy. You know, of course, the new hybrid names where it's like, you know, it means mist of the rose or it means, you know, skipping frog. Um, but the name which you give then, you know, are these names in society where you hear all the time. Like, of course, the old names like which I have, like Sandeep or Rahul or Rohit or Karthik or for women, you have Priya and you have Preeti and you have Shilpa. And I'm, I'm a, why am I reading out names? Or why am I mentioning names? But to break the system of names, because we've got hybrid names, uh, which a lot of people are using, which a lot of people go into uh, these in-depth studies to find and shortlist and then name their child. And people are like, what does your kid's name mean? But I think that's going to get boring and old soon. So we should be prepared for a time when these new hybrid names and even the old names associated with gods and also the names that were given down and passed down by our ancestors, all those are exhausted. We need to go back to the OG, the original way of naming, which was the Native Americans, right? Running Coyote or um, Overweight Golden Doodle. Let's, you know, let's keep it hybrid, man. If you're keeping hybrid or a Labradoodle or like a luscious Labradoodle or, you know, a what do we call the vegans? They have their own category, right? Like um, almond cheese enthusiast or, or um, <laughs> I don't know, there's so many, right? Or the, the, the tofu, um, the tofu tantalist. I don't know. There's so many options. There's so many opportunities which we need to explore. And I think uh, feed some of this shit into chat GPT and let's see what it spits out because I think it might have some good options. I don't know if there's enough data out there. But Long story short, that's another great name for a person who doesn't shut up, is because people do that, right? Oh, so long story short, 20 minutes later, they're not done. They're just going on. And I just dread to know what the long version of that long of that short story was because it's never fucking ending. And I realize many people can't tell a story because they take a story which is actually interesting and bore the fuck out of it. And we see that. And we see that on TEDx platforms, especially, and I'm not going to unnecessarily shit on Indians for this but I am because we tend to have this ability this innate talent to make interesting stuff boring and when we give TED talks or TEDx talks we make it all about our achievement about our resume and about how we've done this and how you should do it as a result instead of spinning a story which is interesting for everyone so long story short if they are called for a TEDx talk you know not to go because it's a long story short and then they talk about how their parents were trying to force them to be engineers and then they said I'm going to be an engineer but then the light struck them and they said in this engineering field I'm going to become the grade A student even though I didn't want to long story short Mm. but then you have someone who's just called a snippet ah I would like to talk to a snippet now let me talk about the story which is at hand and which is of importance on today's episode because I'm talking to an a storyteller, an author, a columnist, a screenwriter. I've got Anand Nilakantan as my guest on today's episode and you're in store for a really, really fun, insightful conversation because Anand is the author of many best-selling books, inspired 
from Hindu mythology set based on ancient texts like the Vedas, the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, and his interpretation are in taken the form of books like the Asuras. Um, I think it's called Asura, then the other one called the Ajaya series. And I actually read Roll of the, Roll of the Dice, which is the first one in the Ajaya series. And I really liked his take on things, which is not this typical idea of good and bad, but the possibility of good people doing bad things and the possibility of bad people, or rather the reality of bad people doing good things for the situation in that moment, what is demanded of them for duty and for service to community, to their family, to their people. So there's so many themes that can really, really um, bring what we are experiencing in today's world to light. And we speak about other things like where India was, Indian, the, in, the past that we come from, the present where we are and the possible futures where we can go and the, the need to be aware of pride. It can be good, but it can also be something that can be our downfall. And you know what's so amazing talking to someone like Anand is that the, the, the knowledge that they have is not just spout out, but it's also taken the form of wisdom which can... Um, be used to shape the way we look at life today. And that's something which the ancient texts, the ancient Indian texts are so good at. They're not a closed manual telling you how to live, but they're open books which are open to interpretation, which can be looked at and not just followed blindly, but how we can use some of these themes, some of the wisdom in these books to uh, shape the way we go forward and shape our lives and make us look at what we are doing and give context to where we are and what we want to do and shape our future as a country going forward. So a lot of interesting themes, a lot of knowledge and wisdom from Anand and frankly, a really, really good conversation. And I'm excited for you to join Anand and me on this journey of talking about the past, the present and possibly the future. Thank you. Anand, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm extremely excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. Thank you very much for calling me for the Sopi Rao show. Should, thank you. Should I call you Sopi? Should I call you Rao? Should I call... Uh, you can call me call? Sandeep. You can call me Sandeep. That, Sandeep. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah. People sometimes just don't even ask that question. They're like, so tell me Sopi. I'm like, hey, how did you know? <laughs> so... Um, there was something very interesting you were telling me about, which, um, you know, I didn't know and which I was, um, you know, a little sensitive about before uh, we started this recording. So um, when we call it the Ramayana or the Mahabharata, uh, many people say that's the wrong pronunciation because that's a South Indian pronunciation, but the actual pronunciation is Ramayan or Mahabharat. Uh, but you were saying that's incorrect. And there is nothing called South Indian or North Indian. I don't know what is South Indian because uh, it is not one entity. First, let us address that. Uh, there are five states in uh, South India. It mm -hmm. include Goa six. Uh, because earlier, technically, they used to include Goa also. Uh, right. Whether Goa people like it or not. But And before that, uh, Dakshin means anything below the Vindhya mountain. So even Maharashtra and Madhya Pradesh and Odisha perhaps uh, would have come in the earlier Dakshinavarta in our Puranas. Mm -hmm. uh, that apart, uh, when the British people translated it, uh, translated Sanskrit texts, they had uh, no agenda to change the names, right? They are not going to give, make it into a North Indian, South Indian or anything. They, they were all, uh, many of them who translated it, they were scholars in Sanskrit. You, can't, you can debate about their agenda, how they translated it, how they did not translate but they translated it exactly true to how it is pronounced in Sanskrit. Mm -hmm. So Sanskrit, it is always Rama. 
is Ravana. This is never Ravan. Usually, mm-hmm. when you are using proper names, uh, they will put that uh, two dots. If you know a bit of Sanskrit, so it's always with Rama, Ravana. It's never Ram or Ravan. So what mm-hmm. essentially is many of the North Indian languages they cut what is that A and right. say Ram, mm-hmm. but in Sanskrit is Rama only. And in uh, Malayalam and Tamil, you add something Raman or Ra- Ramar or Ramayanam or Rama. Mm-hmm. Ra- it's never Ramayana. But Kannada and Telugu perhaps are the two languages uh, which is very true to Sanskrit, uh, uh, especially when you talk about the names in our Puranas. Interesting. Apart from English. English also is very true. Right. Both so, Malayalam, Tamil and Hindi are wrong. I won't say wrong. It's a con- Conventions are different. There is nothing wrong or right about this. It's either a condensation or an extension of the, the word. Of right. No, what I find intriguing with this entire um, evolution of, uh, or rather, um, you know, deciphering of Sanskrit to these uh, modern languages we use today across the Indian, um, across the nation, is that it seems to have diversified the the um, across the length and breadth of the country, but it also seems to have divided the country in some way um, on a cultural level, on a interpretation of the ancient text level. So um, before this happened and when Sanskrit was the predominant language of the land, um, what was the situation of the uh, geographic, geographical unity or disunity in the land? I think Sanskrit always, uh, Sanskrit ceased to be a uh, common man's language long, long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sanskrit was always a link language, a scholar's language. Right. So people had, just like how we use English now, Sanskrit served that purpose. So now most of the research papers across the world, uh, at least most parts of the world, they have an English version. Yeah. Basically, because perhaps uh, America uh, has been dominating in the scientific research and other things. So there, uh, once upon a time, it was Sanskrit. And all, most scholars, respective of which parts of the country they are coming from, uh, they used to speak uh, Sanskrit and communicate with that. How did Shankaracharya uh, travel across India uh, when already all these languages, uh, most of these languages would have evolved. Uh, in the north, it would have been different from Sapragrat. In south, already all the four classical languages had evolved by that time. At least Kannada, Telugu and Tamil had evolved and Malayalam was at the first of evolving from Tamil. But in spite of that, it's, a, it's the Sanskrit he is going for Digvijaya and going to all parts of the country. Same with other saints from Vallabhajarya, uh, after that, uh, from Bengal, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So all these people, respective of what language they spoke at home, at the scholarly level, it was always Sanskrit as a link language. Mm-hmm. For a brief period, Persian would have served as a link language, uh, at least among the North Indian states when the Mughal rule was there, which was later official language, uh, sometimes was Persian. Uh, then slowly Urdu replaced it in the North. In the South, all the four languages uh, uh, became the state languages of the respective kingdoms. But for all practical purposes, Sanskrit was used, including many of the Tamil kingdoms. It doesn't mean that the other language didn't have uh, uh, the respect which it deserved because these are all like, uh, there are uh, these are not any dialects or anything. No? Mm-hmm. Like Kannada, Tamil, Telugu, Malayalam, Odia. All these are classical languages in India. As per the government uh, definition itself, these are all classical languages, which has a tradition of... Uh, at least 1,000 years to 1,500 years, some of them having 3,000, 4,000 years of tradition. 
So when yeah. Now I want to understand. There's no question of division. No. There's no division. Division came and politicians started playing around with it. When one side said said that no no you have to forget all our language you have to use our language because we are majority you should use that. And mm. the other side politicians started countering it, saying that no, no, we won't learn that language. Will be good for us or not, and we will have our own language. Mm. Uh, I think these all these things may get irrelevant with uh, technology. Uh, it's not very far. In maybe another two or three years, perhaps you speak in Canada and hear it in Malayalam, and yeah. the people who want to hear it in English will hear it in English. With the translation software, it's happening. Uh, already, that translation softwares are available. It's a matter yeah. of uh, they're getting popular and cheaper. So, can you paint a picture of the time that you are writing in and writing about, say, three thousand five hundred years back? When, uh, whether it's with reference to, uh, I'm sorry, here I might seem uh, ina- inaccurate with the time frame, or my lack of knowledge might come um, out here. But when, say, you're talking about uh, Rama and uh, Ravana and that epic, uh, or the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, so what was the land looking like? What was ancient India? Um, ancient India's position in the global order and more close to home, what did India look like as a nation at that time? See, nation as a concept is, uh, uh, is very recent, right? Nation, mm-hmm. whether we can call nation, because people, whether anybody identified as particular uh, nation is uh, a very difficult question to answer. I don't think so, because uh, politically... The kingdoms come and kingdoms go. The borders change and uh, mm-hmm. they evolve and dissolve. Uh, coagulate. It kept. It keeps happening in the history. Uh, only thing is, uh, what bound it together is a form of culture. Right. And I won't say one particular culture because there could have been so much cultural diversity also. But uh, the concept of dharma, certain things are very common because for all the religions. Uh, and the thought process which evolved from India, whether it which we now perhaps call uh, collectively as Hinduism, mm-hmm. or which are all recent terms actually, or collectively as Hinduism, or form of Buddhism and Jainism and uh, Sikhism, all these things uh, there are certain common factors which united. Other right. than that, all of them had their own regional uh, varieties, and uh, even now we can see that there is no one form of. Uh, uh, Hinduism, there is no one form of God or one text or anything. So it is a very naturally evolved uh, uh, process. And India was and is the most fertile land in the world. So naturally, as long as it didn't depend on uh, the modern industrialization process, uh, it's quite natural that uh, it was the most wealthiest land in the world. Because uh, the economy depended on agriculture and when agriculture is there, Naturally, you will have spare time. Then arts will develop. When you have arts and other things, uh, along with that, the religion, culture, philosophy. When does philosophy, the philosophies evolve? When you have got enough time to sit and think and wonder about the world. Mm-hmm. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, you, it won't evolve in a place where there is a constant conflict and you are struggling for your livelihood. It, mm-hmm. all, these are all, all the things of uh, civilization is a product of uh, uh, leisure, actually. So, leisure will come when there is prosperity. And the prosperity will come in those world. Prosperity will come from fertility of the land. We have got so many rivers. We have got so We were geographically blessed. And because of that, uh, we became economically powerful. And uh, because we are we economically powerful and uh, the land could give us plenty of food to eat, 
we had enough time to develop uh, a much more open and liberal minded attitude i become closed when i am scared right mm-hmm. when resources are less when i have enough and more resources there are two things which can happen one is a lot of invaders will come who want to take away the land uh, take away the land and enjoy the resources second thing is uh, you yourself will be easy to share it with all and there will be more broadband so indian religions uh, indian thought processes were more or less broad minded in accepting different paths uh, because it didn't ex- there was no existential threat for it for a long time for centuries so that way uh, we were blessed to have a very prosperous land and it remained prosperous until the perhaps the colonialization started which coincided with the industrialization industrial revolution in the europe so these two things acted we became a place where they they came and used us for raw material the older form of industrialization it's also a misnomer it's also a misunderstanding to say that india was never industrialized at the eve of british raj india was the most industrialized country in the world but there was no mass production as such it was mostly caste based guild based industries but we had a very complicated and uh, rich industrial base uh, consisting of cottage industries and other things like every guild will produce whatever it is exquisite things we used to produce all these things were systematically destroyed by the british an inferiority complex was infused on us and uh, scientific revolution happened in europe which is something which uh, many times we miss they didn't uh, think about the past they thought about the future they were they became very rational in their thought they came out of the clutches of their religion and uh, the industrial production started apart from that they were smart enough and cruel enough and ruthless enough to exploit the rest of the world mm-hmm. and now they are a normalizing force you know whatever norms they give uh, they impose that norms on everyone else whether whatever it is their culture they impose on everyone else and uh, if you don't follow that uh, the standards which they are which they set uh, they say you are developing the underdeveloped you are it to develop semi crude and all those things so these are all historical accidents uh, which happened across uh, so i want to for a moment come back from history to today's india because you know i completely relate to your observation about the inferiority complex and the norms being applied because generationally you notice you know whether it's my parents generation or my generation this need for validation from the west right whether it's approval about the way you speak whether it's getting educated abroad um but now i'm 40 it's 2023 and we are seeing this resurgence of indian dominance i wouldn't say dominance but indian power on the global front and you see this um embracing of indian pride and that could be in language it could be in food it could be in clothing it could be in expression and ideas amongst a lot of the younger population so for a moment uh, now we can see india on the cusp of something which a lot of people speculate as the next big power on the global stage so for a moment uh, for, so could you take uh, me through a maybe a contrast of what was you just said about where we were thousands of years back to what your observations on present day india are so there are we are at the cusp of something big it could go either way i will put it like that mm-hmm. we could go to reach uh, india could achieve its true potential it can go to uh, achieve uh, so many people no 150 crore 160 crore people Mm-hmm. Uh, we can become uh, 
perhaps one of the stabilizing forces in the world offer a different way uh, based on our roots and ethics uh, on an inclusive way of living that is the biggest message of india you no know, so much diversity we could handle any other country with this kind of diversity any other geography with this kind of diversity you can see across the world they have ended up in huge wars and bloodshed mm. we have so far managed to uh, restrict those kind of bloodshed it's not that bloodshed never happen here because it's human nature to be sometimes to be violent uh, but uh, we have so far avoided that so it can we can continue like this we can continue to be inclusive we can uh, continue to accept the differences in thoughts and uh, like how hinduism is hinduism if you really see is uh, an umbrella uh, religion it has got so many conflicting thoughts and contradicting methods at it accepts and respects everything and that is how it has gone forward and survived and flourished that's mm. one way of doing it another way of doing it is uh, this kind of uh, the pride what we are feeling it can go rotten also mm-hmm. because where do you stop it if you think that uh, we are the best one one is swinging to the what we were like we don't we need validation from the west mm. we are inferior we feel inferior to swinging to the other end and saying that we are the greatest in the world we were the greatest in the world and we have nothing to learn from anyone else and uh, our language moment we say that the question comes whose language question comes whose religion question comes whose god because in hinduism itself there is no one way of uh, worshiping right there are so many schools and streams and that's a beauty of this uh, religion the moment you try to unify it in a very 17th century 18th century or pre world war european way where uh, a nation uh, can be unified only by having one religion one language one way of thought one this thing this led to the things like fascism this led to the uh, the european countries getting becoming each nation for its own and fighting with each other and led to different kind of world wars and conflicts and other things whereas india which is having much more diversity compared to europe always managed it by having a very open heart the moment we close it uh, close our heart with our uh, rightful or unrightful or imaginary pride mm-hmm. can also go in the way of conflicts like what we witnessed in 1947 Mm-hmm. where each side said that uh, our side is right and uh, there were uh, we almost managed to kill uh, what hitler killed we almost managed to kill almost 15 to 20 lakhs uh, people in our civil war it is it was in very far away when you see the history hardly 75 years before mm-hmm. we killed around uh, we butchered with just with hockey sticks and uh, knives not even guns imagine such a civil war happening now Mm-hmm. so we have to think on either side we always it need not be uh, nations can turn either way at this cusp we are at the cusp of something we can go to greatness which we all hope and pray it will will reach there we can also go into balkanization and fights and other things which we pray should not happen which we should work it should not happen so the moment you talk about uh, 
pride of language india has so many languages it's not just the 22 languages uh, which is in the schedule we have got more than 300 to 400 languages each village starts claiming pride each caste starts claiming pride on itself each gotra starts claiming pride on its heritage where do we end mm-hmm. so you it's know. very important to uh, tell us a story it's all storytelling nation building also is a storytelling mm. we need to tell a story where there is place for everyone there's a sense of um lost times right when i when i think about what you said about how we need all of this to make a nation or make a civilization flourish which is work which could either be agriculture it could be any form of economy uh, to spiritual uh, seeking or philosophical uh, philosophical um you know um pondering or art so music and today it seems with the technological revolution the time seems to be something that no one has or rather the attention for um, gaining information has reduced right because everything has gone from hours to nanoseconds in some way so um is this a hybrid rapid progress of a nation that you're looking at because when you research for your books and you study these ancient texts of course you can't say you know the past is always glorious there are there is a need for change and change is inevitable and we are sitting where we are today we can't obviously transport ourselves back to 3000 bc so what are some of the things that we can apply because the moment you talk about the past in india especially the the demons come up people point fingers there's accusations the caste systems the upper caste is always oppressed or there's religious institutions that has stolen people's livelihood or has uh, prevented people from coming up in life so there's always pointing fingers or it's the other extreme as you rightly pointed where it's like oh india invented yoga india is the greatest country there seems to be more of this extreme views about the past uh, but i think that's a problem of the social media social mm-hmm. media always uh, uh, there is a context collapse there can be there cannot be any nuanced uh, discussion now mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. either this or the other extreme either india is all uh, the entire india indian civilization was a lie and we were all uh, everything that is good that came from the west or the other other extreme we had yeah. atom bombs and nuclear bombs and we were flying around to mars kind of uh, both are <laughs> ridiculous if you ask right me. right but social media is there we can't uh, uh, ignore the fact that it does have an influence especially now with the reach of social media uh, there are people who are unwilling to read the texts that are out there they're willing to be manipulated by a certain narrative by a certain political group or a certain social group or a certain um community that they belong to so as a result we can't ignore the presence and the influence of social media so how does someone like you who's a scholar in many ways who writes stories about um these these ages how do you navigate your storytelling because it's um easy for you to be taken out of context or for your stories to be used by a certain group in a certain um weaponized way so w- what do you make of this uh there is uh, uh, fortunately not many people read in india that's first thing sorry can you repeat that fortunately not many unfortunately or fortunately not many people read in india <laughs> apart from population very less people read right. so i don't think the writers are that important in the country right. uh, except in their heads that's first thing it's a, it's a it's a fact let us accept the fact no compared yeah. to uh, for our population 
we and especially people now india might be the only country where people proudly say no no i don't read any fiction i don't read any anything i don't mm. have time to read when i have time mm. i will read uh, uh, many of the countries across the world which has got very far lesser population sell more books and people read more yeah. and they have enough time to do that so that is one safety when you write anything uh, since people don't read very less number of people read uh, the kind of things what you say about uh, that risk is less mm. uh, jokes apart uh, but that's a fact also jokes yeah. apart uh, you can't uh, write for social media you can't write uh, being scared that somebody will caught you out of uh, context and then create ruckus so mm. people who want to create ruckus can create ruckus on anything and everything people used to people created uh, ruckus on some actors uh, bikini also right mm-hmm. so there mm-hmm. is nothing uh, there is no dearth of things in india where people uh, there is there is no dearth of unemployed uh, whatsapp inspired uh, crazy people in india who can agitate for anything and everything so you can't lead your life depend upon that mm-hmm. uh, you stay true to what you want to say and say it boldly and uh, if something happens let us see at that time that's only approach to take or uh, you'll have to give up doing anything altogether and just be the slogan shouting uh, rat <laughs> led by the pied pipers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's our choice whether you want to be the rat uh, following the pied pipers mm-hmm. which our party or denomination or class or caste they belong to or you want to stand apart and uh, watch these poor rats are going to get drowned it's a choice which we we'll have to make well said but one thing is there what we should not forget and what we are unfortunately forgetting is that uh, while all the din is there about india becoming great and india becoming richer and richer which is true and uh, which also gives us a lot of pleasure and a sense of pride uh, we should not forget to look around even now almost 70% of the people are living in dire poverty mm-hmm. we are at to solve many of the other problems it doesn't mean that we should solve all those things and then only we should uh, think about any other great things all these things will go hand in hand every country developed like that mm-hmm. but uh, uh, even now our literacy rates are very bad many parts of the country uh even now it is 40% illiterates are there 35% illiterates are there mm-hmm. and uh, uh not just literacy in many other aspects as per i'm not quoting any un report or anything i'm quoting niti aayog report itself yeah it's a government's uh, statistics and i i am sure government is also aware of this fact it's not that people at the top are not aware of the fact they are working towards it what many of uh, the social media barriers forget is that this is also a reality for many of the people away yeah. from the media and other things uh, if you take by the sheer numbers we will have more poor than any other country's population hmm. even if 30% of us are poor that is uh, something people. like 50 crore which is more than america's one and a half times america's population so what are we talking about overtaking anyone else right only when we are able to take all these people together and assure them a dignified life we are the world's ma- maximum number of malnourished people malnourished children even now as for the government statistics i am not talking mm-hmm. about any agency ngo or anybody right. who has doubt can go to niti aayog report and see so this is a harsh fact which government also is aware and government also uh, state governments national governments 
uh, union government uh, all of them are coming up with lot of schemes sir. but there's a long way to go yeah so it's not a bit criticism against any party or any politician or anything but this is like a self criticism a mirror which uh, we have to look at ourselves when we are going gaga about india's progress is that a huge number of people are still 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 at the bottom there are historical reasons for that but that should not be an excuse after 75 years of independence there are our priorities sir. and it's a population very easily forgotten in debates in in literary fests or in government arguments right because it's invisible in many ways which is the sad part who wants to talk about poverty it has gone out of fashion right yeah and it is not a pleasant thing social media uh, again i will call it as a culprit because this is one place uh, where we all come and show our best faces no mm. the best filter filters the best dress in the happiest moment of our life so it gives a very uh, golden dust coated view of reality yeah so what happens is uh, even when uh, we tend to cover up our what's we tend to cover up our poverty and other things with huge flexes uh, cover up the slums yeah and uh, make the wash the highways and uh, put gardens in the highways which is also required i don't think they are not required yeah but the problem is uh, which are all essential for this but we, you cannot go forward when uh, 30 crore people cannot go forward with 100 crore left behind yeah or 120 crore left behind it just weighs you down i mean whether you like it or not it, it is, is going down. to weigh you down it's yeah. going to come after you one day or another it is it will cause uh, social strife so sooner or later i want to again sorry go back <laughs> in time um because this is something which is very interesting to me is are the texts the ramayana the um the, the mahabharata are these real accounts of what happened or are they um stories told by well fictional authors of the day uh how does it matter is my first question right because i know from where these kind of questions are coming out uh, coming from mm-hmm. this comes from a desperate search for glory in the past mm-hmm. and not particularly about you and talking about generally when we tell it is uh, because if you go by the text mm-hmm. there are countless ramayanas uh, mm-hmm. which have happened in there is no we don't have a uh, linear history mm-hmm. as per our belief these things keeps on happening so if you go by the ramayana texts it is like that uh, the ramayanas are happening many ramayanas are happening across multiple universes mm-hmm. at different stages that's the first thing so you That's go amazing, into yeah. quantum physics and metaphysics uh, and not to history when you really read the text so what mm-hmm. happens is um, uh, the ramayana what we know now is not the first ramayana thousands okay. of millions of ramayanas have happened before that as per the text itself millions mm-hmm. will happen again and millions are happening now at okay. different places so uh, it is immaterial on so and so bc so and so date this happened because these are we have enough history without making all these things into history mm-hmm. there could have been some kernel of history into it but that is not the idea of these texts these texts are written with a much higher purpose also mm-hmm. it is not just a tale of uh, uh, some king fighting another king mm-hmm. we had enough kings uh, we have enough kings fighting with each other in the last 4000 5000 years for us 
Ramayana is not a tale of just one king against another, or Mahabharata is not a tale of two cousins fighting each other. They have got much more deeper meaning, and we should not reduce them. We are actually doing an injustice uh, trying to make them into some sort of a historical event and trying to take the pride in that. What do you take pride in Mahabharata? It's a cautionary tale. It's so, a, it's a, such a great tale warning about the uh, problem of war. And this is where my ignorance might have come across. Sorry, that's why I asked you the question is, it was not loaded with, oh, let's um, get you to, you know, rave about Indian past. But I want to understand the idea because uh, this this is where it was coming from. This is where my ignorance showed, I suppose, is that what, uh, when I said real, is that if, if at face value, as you said, it's about a king saving his a queen from a um, enemy, right? Very simplified way. But I wanted you to uh, actually answer answer the the, the 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 profound or if you want to call it the higher purpose of these texts, like not the actual historical recounting of these texts, but what does it serve to? Um, uh, why does historically it, does it... Uh, historically it doesn't have any? If you ask me, it is much beyond the history because mm-hmm. it shaped our art. Both these texts and many of the Puranas shaped our art, it shaped our religion, it shaped mm-hmm. our culture, it shaped our all kind of like poetry, it shaped drama, it shaped uh, sculptures, it shaped temple building, it shaped it shaped our lives, how we lead lead our life. Mm-hmm. So this this is where the importance comes from. No, people have drawn inspiration not from historical characters in India; mm-hmm. they are drawn inspiration from these epics. Mm-hmm. So this is what unites India rather than political unity or one language unity. So you see, see Ramayana, Ramayana is uh, there in almost all Indian languages. Every Indian language, there are two things uh, which we can observe. One is um, most of the people who wrote, most of the saints, poets, saint poets who wrote uh, Ramayana in the respective language, Ramayana in the respective language, whether it's Kannada or Telugu or Malayalam or Odia or Bengala. Marathi, Gujarati, Tamil, they are mostly considered as the father of that language mm-hmm. or the Maha, Mahakavi of that language. So like Malayalam's father is Sajitachin, the modern Tamil's father is Kambar. Like that, it goes on and on and on everywhere. Many, most of the Jnanapid award winners have written something on Ramayana or Mahabharata and won mm-hmm. awards for that. Kuvampu. Uh, the other, uh, in Canada itself, I think two or three people have won Nanpet based on uh, this thing. Ramayana right. Mahavrakshamu in Telugu. Malayalam Randamuram Empty Vasavanayans. So it is shaping our uh, culture and thought process even now. Right. Which is what is more important for me rather than it is just a uh, historical event of kings. So many kings we had. No, How many kings we had uh, from. Chandra Uttamuriya, to Ashoka, to Vikramayatiya, to Ayurayajona, to the Chalukyas, to Puligeshi, to so many kings we had, uh, Shivaji. To... So this is, these two epics are beyond all these kings, if you really see. So they shape the ethics of India. They shape the uh, concept of dharma in India. Mm. What is dharma? The debate on dharma. That is what uh, these tales are about. And they are not instructional tests. They are not equivalent of Bible or Quran. Okay, no not. offense to any of other religious texts, but how this differs is that we are they are not instructional texts that you do like this and you do like that or you will get punished. Right. They are the tales of human 
frailties humans uh, facing different kind of dilemmas that is dharma sankats what they call dharma sangada mm-hmm. and taking decisions based on their logic and their teaching and paying the uh, price for their actions or eating the fruits of their action right this is so it is an eternal debate ramayana or mahabharata and this debate had shaped indian thought indian art mm. indian religions or should i say bharatiya thoughts bharatiya religions today that's also <laughs> fine right i want to interrupt you for a moment because you mentioned that this is not narrowed down to a king or kings and it's beyond and it serves a much higher purpose and it goes to being a guide quote unquote for lack of a better word uh, to to shape a nation or to shape uh, many um, generations to come uh, because of the idea that it's not narrow it's not restricted it's not instructional like other texts out there but just by virtue of it being so open to interpretation because it talks about much bigger human themes of existence of suffering of right and wrong and of duty and all these various things that aren't uh, restricted to one group of people but one race of people it's across the human experience but just by being open to so much interpretation does it um leave itself um vulnerable to these narrow minded people who shape it into their own narrative that they then use to manipulate um present day groups or past groups or future groups actually it is the other way around right it's the other mm-hmm. way around if it is a restrictive text mm-hmm. saying that this is the text you deviate uh from this then you will get killed right you have you are done a blasphemy that is where the manipulation happens one group of people can hold on to that ah. one institution can hold on to that so europe came out of that institution institutional clutches of churches Mm-hmm. Uh, though there there was not one church it also split into many churches depending on various interpretation because that's human nature mm-hmm. but in spite of that there was an authority which tried to control it and the european renaissance was about coming out of it with free will and thought which took the humanity forward mm-hmm. whereas we inherently have that uh, kind of renaissance imbibed in our uh, civilization itself where you are allowed this kind of free thoughts so there was there, there was no need of rebellion uh, of say perhaps galileos and other people no where there mm. was a conflict between the science the free thought and the church there was no mm. need for that the religion itself permitted uh, religion i won't call it religion this way of life itself permitted all kind of thoughts and how does a country develop it develops through interpretation right yeah yeah when there are a lot of ideas only the society progress the stagnant societies hold on to one idea one interpretation mm developing societies developed societies a society which progresses uh, take europe for example i am no fan of europe because europe is one country which colonized half the world uh, uh, institutionalized slavery and ha- had a lot of bloodshed and other things but what makes them unique what made them unique uh, from a plague infested backward region in the medieval era yeah what made them we had to learn from their history also what made them uh, conquer most of the world and rule them and become rich at the expense of so many others they were able to if you really see uh, just before the battle of plassey 
if somebody would have told that england is going to be the biggest power for the next 150 years people would have thought you are mad mm. isn't it mm-hmm. it is like saying to, um, uh, to someone now that uh, burma is as insignificant no offense to burmese burma <laughs> is going to be uh, in next 50 years burma is going to be the superpower mm. it was as accidental and uh, as that right but was it really an accident no see the 18th century 19th century europe mm-hmm. so many thoughts come so many conflicting thoughts come so many contradictory thoughts come there is a space for all kind of enquiry there is a space for uh, coming out of the clutches of religion it is such a vibrant period where people go on exploration people are curious about things they are not saying my england is great 1000 years ago and i will do exactly like that 1000 years ago mm-hmm. they were not great yeah so they developed because of a scientific temper and then they created the story of how great uh, the rome was and other things i'm not saying rome was not great but you take the size of greek greece civilization these are all city states yeah uh, the contemporary civilization in asia at that time were massive huge and much richer Yeah. whether it is uh, india or persia or china but mm-hmm. when the europe became powerful they created and they narrated a history which made the entire world believe that everything started from greece even now when you read scientific books which comes in english they all caught to some greek philosopher who said this yeah. uh, plato what he said aristotle what he said they'll caught to all those things without even acknowledging that all these thoughts had appeared in india and china and persia and egypt thousands of years before plato or aristotle had said they were just uh, echoing what they learned from other parts they all assign it to all to the greek civilization and the roman civilization as mm. if everything started from there this they were able to achieve because they progressed materialistically they progressed in science what we are missing now is uh, due to our obsessiveness about an imaginary past we have a great yeah. past but should we be stuck in the great past the past ha- has good and bad things should we not think about the future and if you want to think about the future we need all kind of interpretations we need all kind of free flow of thought the thought cannot be restricted the moment you restrict the thought you become stagnant society you can see which societies are stagnant if you take out the map and see the societies which are the maximum who are they might be having money i am not mincing words but if you see in thought process wise scientifically we take the example of pakistan mm-hmm. pakistan became obsessed with religion yeah they invented an imaginary past mm-hmm. they thought that everything good for flows from only one form of uh, thought process yeah they fought among themselves on different uh, minute interpretation of uh, their own religion and see where the country has reached do we want to go into that path we perhaps uh, if we take out if we remain india as india without having the bloodshed of uh, bloodshed what the europe gave to the world we remain india in our heart and we become we imitate the brain of europe we can perhaps show a different path the european brain european intellect the last 200 years i will not talk about 2000 years last 200 250 years and when i say europe i include america also because it comes from the same cultural system yeah take the number of patents take the number of uh, uh, the scientific progress which is even now happening 
everything what we are using now i am not talking about what uh, einstein did or newton did even though all of them found the base even now from the internet to everything it is dominated by the inventions from the west what are we talking about why are we closing our eyes to all these things so when you refer to the ramayana and the mahabharata as texts or epics that shaped the future of a civilization would you say it is still able to because we as you rightly pointed there are people who minimize it as a historical account which they can brag about but let's ignore that group of people because they do have a voice but let's move to another opportunity which is does these do these texts have the power the relevance to shape india's future as of today definitely they are still shaping the future as of today but okay. you the moment you start inter, uh, interpreting them like any other religious texts no they lose that power right so they how lose can they and they will become like uh, we have to use them like how they were they were used for the last 4000 5000 years so someone who's not aware of it and has so been misled so i will tell yeah. it like this i will tell it like this when you say uh, take the example of ramayana ramayana has so many interpretations mm-hmm. so many of them and they evolved over 4000 5000 years in every language every poet have written it in their way like uh, i don't know in uh, canada kuvampu's uh, uh, ramayana he comes up with a different interpretation for sita's agni pariksha mm-hmm. so every event and just telling it as an example since you are a kannadiga i just took that example thinking that if i have to be familiar with it Of so course. every uh, every writer every saint every poet interpreted this uh, ramayana and mahabharata to suit the society and the times now veerappamoli had written uh, the kannada poet in uh, ramayana about ramayana two books he gave a totally different interpretation in that i'm not talking about even the english writers like us who are interpreting and who are more read but in every indian language every writer every saint has interpreted it to suited for the times mm-hmm. now we were uh, able to do that because we took it as a cultural and an ethical text mm-hmm. the moment you call it like it is an equivalent of quran or bible this kind of interpretations is not possible because there will be people who will get offended you cannot have any creative liberty so what happens it just becomes a religion it loses mm-hmm. its power to shape our thoughts because uh, in my childhood uh, how i used to hear ramayana is that the ramayana was not told as an instructional text it was a debate mm. the sense that they will tell the text and then they will leave it to your interpretation on uh, arriving at what is right for you so that is why if you see ramayana or mahabharata have not hidden any flaws of any of the uh, heroes Right. or characters what was the need for valmiki if it was just an instructional text to show that ram rama killed bali by hiding behind a tree mm-hmm. just imagine uh, just for imagine that valmiki is writing this or uh, any poet for that matter vyasa is writing this what is the need for vyasa to tell that uh, uh, drona was killed by telling a lie right 
right? It's not an instructional text now. So what it is teaching us is that there will be circumstances in each of our lives. So the greatest of Mahabharata or Ramayana is that you take any character, look at the things which they are going through in their life. It's a life biography of each of them. And you will find that there is some similarity to something in your life which is happening. At least one character you will find for any incident which is happening. And you will be able to, it is like a compass or a milestone. Right. It shows you the way. It is up to you to choose that path or choose another path. But these are these are the guideposts which is doing it. That is how it has uh, uh, helped us. So some people will see bhakti in it, devotion in it. That is also accepted because you you it is going to give you peace of mind, and you believe that through by devotional songs, singing and praying, that path bhakti marga is accepted. Some people will start arguing this is right or this is wrong. They use logic and try to achieve uh, at what is comfortable and convenient for them. That is Jnana Marga. Some people mm. will think that, okay, he has done like this. I will also do like that. That becomes Karma Marga. Mm. All paths are accepted. The moment you lose that freedom, it just becomes an instructional text that uh, Ram did this. You also do that. Otherwise, uh, he will kill you. Mm. That's the danger, right? That's a danger. So, you do something in your books, which is talk about the other side and you talk about the losers, the story from their perspective. So what, uh, um, what was the, what, what, what was the reason that uh, drove that decision for you as an author? Uh, see, it is not that I write only from the other side. I have written a lot of television uh, and uh, films and other things in which uh, I have told the story, like uh, some of the countries, uh, Perhaps the most watched uh, television series uh, based on Ramayana and Mahabharata, and also I am working on something else, uh, mm. were based, were written by me. Like uh, Siya Keram, uh, Mahabali Hanuman, which came mm. in all languages and all in Sony TV. So it's right. not that I write from only from one side. I write from every side. I right. put it like that. I write from every side. I'm just following the tradition, the very traditional way. Where that is why you see that in many of the Shiva temples, you still find Ravana's Murti there. Ravana also will be there in many of the temples. Yeah, yeah. There are temples for Duryodhana. So these were not never considered until the until we got westernized. None of these characters were considered as evil per se. Mm. They were considered as people who perhaps did a wrong choice and they are paying the price for it. Rather than, there is no concept of pure evil, like Satan concept is not there in any of the Indian tradition. There is so no heaven concept and hell. of Satan. Okay. Heaven or hell or Satan concept is not there at all. So I am trying to uh, write the, uh, bring the age-old perspective of showing it from every side so that uh, I'm not preaching, saying that this is the right thing. I'm just saying, okay, this is the angle. Think from this angle. Because that is why these texts were written like that. Mm. There was a reason why uh, these sages had written uh, everything, right? In the sense that uh, uh, Karna is killed in a very unfair way. Mm. Drona is killed in a very unfair way. So they are not hiding anything. No, They are not saying this is the right or that is wrong. And these are the points where they are putting, where they want us to pause and then debate and discuss either in our mind or between each other. And arrive at our truths. So these are like exercise books. They are not guide books. 
they are not instructional books sir. they are more like a question paper what you get no you multiple have to give choice. an answer <laughs> not even multiple choice multiple choices you have got only four or five choice i mean this mul- is like uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you have to give your answers right it's right, like writing right. essays no you have to think and give your answers right so these are all samasyas actually mm. rather than just instructions sir. and that is why they are holy because they can be everybody can have their own ramayana and mahabharata because of that that's, that's the beauty of it that's actually beautiful yeah yeah so i want to talk about a couple of things um before we wind up today one you'd mentioned um you know this this idea of guild based caste based society which had industry and i'm not sure if you're uh, comfortable taking this but i'm you know i'm 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 curious to know what is your position on the the past of the caste system and what is the and this this might seem as an ignorant question and i apologize in advance um and is it does it deserve to be demonized as much as it is being today uh caste what it evolved it needs to not just be demonized it needs to be destroyed right what it evolved what it started that's a different thing many of the caste uh, system and the caste discriminations got consolidated during the uh, british period i am not blaming british for the caste caste was always there even in mahabharata you can see the uh, caste discrimination right uh, the glimpses of caste discrimination mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the medieval text started adding many things uh, to justify the uh, caste system into the text so which we can clearly see if you read it the language changes uh, like uh, uttraganda of uh, ramayana is clearly uh, somebody has uh, inserted it which right. many scholars agree also so it has got so many controversial things most of the controversial things in ramayana is in the uttraganda uh, including uh, abandoning of sita killing of shambhuga for learning vedas shudra is killed for learning vedas mm. all these things uh, come rama kills shudra for uh, called shambhuga for killing uh, reading vedas Mm. all these things were inserted by western interests and uh, it was one of the it was and is uh, still one of the most uh, uh, horrible systems invented by man so when we talk about glory of civilization we should also talk about the rotten things in our civilization then only we can go forward yeah uh, what politicians use it for on either side that's a different debate altogether but mm. if you are at the bottom of the pyramid then only we uh, we will know how oppressive this is but it it uh, one thing what many people miss when they talk about caste is it is not like the race of uh, uh, black and white or anything like that uh, like mm-hmm. a white race oppressing the black because in caste system there is nothing called uh, uh, the oppressor and the oppressed everyone is an oppressor and the oppressed this is a very complicated but uh, truth complicated truth if i may say that is there were so many gradations at least by the time where we are reached now or at least say in the 1940s before or 47 before the constitution came uh, in 1950 before that there were so many gradations so even the classes which we call as uh, you know which come in the scheduled class categories they also followed caste system even now mm. many villages they do that and right. they while uh, you will have 20 castes oppressing you you will have another 10 castes uh, so who, who are below you and you will oppress them you will not intermarry them 
you mm. the so it is not that uh, it is not black and white like the upper caste oppressed lower caste there was no concept like uh, there were a huge ladder of caste okay who is an upper caste or in among brahmins itself in kerala had around 60 castes and some of them cannot touch the caste just above that some of them above that cannot touch the caste above it it was so that's a vivekananda called it a madhouse right because of the caste system it's like a madhouse right who can keep track of this it it had evolved into such a way that uh, who can stand how many feet away people okay. were wasting times on this kind of bullshit mm. if you are in this which caste you are in so and so caste and i am this caste you cannot come near me so it is a brutal system which sucked away the vitality of india mm. and okay. india's fall is associated with the strengthening of caste system what i have just uh, take the history for example india was the most populous country for most part of history yet a handful of invaders could come and conquer us why mm. because only one caste was allowed to fight right right only one caste or one group of caste who who came in particular varna was allowed to fight so what you essentially do is uh, there is no fighting force of the 99% of the people mm. this is a, this is an open invitation for invaders to come Yeah. So what caste system came, became, is ruthless and brutal. Whether the medicine we are giving for it to correct it, that's a different debate. But there is, I will always hold uh, caste and the way it evolved to be responsible for most of the ills in India, and uh, even the poverty which we witness. Even though poverty cuts across all castes, if you draw it like a statistical curve. you find that most of the poor people in the country majority of them at least 70 80% of them will belong to as you go down in the caste ladder you will find more number of poor people it doesn't mean that the so called upper caste doesn't have poor because of the india's population lot of poor people are there especially in the poorer states of the north lot of poor people are there in every caste but you can just look at uh, uh, it's an obvious thing no you look at uh, who is your maid who is your driver who is your the security guard i'm not saying others are not there but as a statistical thing you just check it out yeah majority of them still caste is a reality in most part of the country mm. i am not a person i don't belong to a community which was oppressed uh, because of caste system or not totally oppressed because there were other castes which were supposed to be above us or anything but this question should be asked to the people uh, who have really faced the brunt of caste yeah and reading ambedkar is very essential and important for that because ambedkar is somebody who fa- i i don't agree with ambedkar on many things i don't agree with anyone on many things or <laughs> a lot of things yeah that freedom of mind we should have no i don't agree Absolutely. with gandhi ji with everything i don't agree with uh, ambedkar for everything i don't agree with anyone for everything or whether ramayana mahabharat everything we have to keep our independent mind absolutely but where ambedkar becomes important as much as gandhi ji or as much as any other leader of that era is that he brings a voice which is not often heard and he is telling it from the first hand experience if you can't respect that if you can't at least sympathize with that yeah. we don't have any right to call ourselves indians yeah now that was such a i think informative response because again you know 
it's very limited what you hear. It's always the forecast. It's very black and white. And this was such a deep, um, um, well thought through answer because it really got me thinking because whether we talk about the Ramayana, the ancient texts, whether we, these are things that um, are evolved by people of the time into this this the system which really has damaged not the integrity and the fiber and the fabric of our country but also has been so oppressive and the injustice to so many people who are still reeling from it will go unanswered if we just kind of focus on the pride of the past or the pride of what it was as opposed to what it became so thanks for that response and um on a on a different note i you know I didn't want to interrupt you earlier about the um, multiple versions of the Ramayana playing out simultaneously or playing out in the past to play on the future. Would you agree when I, when I would refer to that as the Ramayana or the Mahabharata acknowledging in its wisdom or in its interpretation, the existence of multiple universes and the multiverse as we call it? There today? are many, many stories which talks about the time. See, certain things, uh, what we should really take pride about. Mm-hmm. It's the depth of uh, thoughts which Indians always, uh, the ancient Indians uh, uh, always reached. So ours was not an experimental culture. So we may not have given proofs, but the imagination was so vast. So this story of multiple universe and multiple verses and the relativity of time, they are so beautiful in all this poetry that it is not just one text. It comes from Upanishads to Vedas to Puranas to ancient Tamil literature to so many of them this concept comes uh, Siddhas talk about it so there are uh, there is this story uh, where one king went to uh, the Brahma to find a daughter uh, find a uh, groom for his daughter and at that time in the Brahma Sabha there was some music concert going on so he waited for five minutes when the song was uh, finished the Brahma asked him why have you come here and he says that I come searching for a groom and Brahma starts laughing and he asks, why are you laughing? And Brahma says, there is a time difference between earth and this place. By the time you have come here, 60,000 years have passed on earth. And all the generations, your daughter, all so many of them are over, gone. By the time you go back, another 60,000 years would have gone. This is uh, our present day physics, right? Yeah. If you really think. So this kind of story suddenly jump out from this uh, beautiful poetry and other things. So the depth of... Uh, our philosophical thought is something which uh, gives me goosebumps when I read all these things. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, when you read about, you know, the, mush- the mission to the moon or the new launch to observe the sun. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a trained scientist, but my limited understanding is through the school I went and how maths and physics were taught. And you understand certain positions and certain measurements and certain concept of time. But do these uh, texts even have a have the possibility of changing your perception of what time means because we count it by the second, the minute, the year. But can it be... Definitely, definitely. Right. Because uh, in our uh, uh, Puranas, the time is a cycle. We tend Mm. to, at least uh, uh, the way we are all trained, we think about linear time. That's Mm. why we are talking to history and other things. Why Indians never bothered about history is because uh, uh, they never considered time as a linear thing. It's Kala Chakra always. Right. And the God is uh, Mahakala. The Lord of Time. This That's is why Shiva is called Maha. 
Mahagala, no? it's a lot of time, the one who destroys time, so many meanings come in that. So time, the, the beauty of time, there is this, uh, there are a lot of uh, beautiful, uh, the nature of time, I think, uh, the book, uh, it is very similar to many concepts in Vedas, the modern, many, many books which talks on time. Uh, are very similar to how time is talked about in many of our Puranas and Vedas. Mm. You know, I'm usually a person who spends more time in the grey and not uh, stress about the black and the white. And I try to keep an open mind and, you know, keep challenging my opinions and my thing. And this conversation with you has, you know, led me to spend more time in the grey. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you, I want to ask you um, um, about... You know, if I want to read some of these books, the texts, let's call them, and I don't, you know, read Kannada, I don't obviously speak or read Sanskrit. Are there books in English that someone like me who's uh, interested can find? See, uh, I can tell you. I will show you. One is Radha Krishnan's, uh, these two volumes. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, introduction, volume of Indian philosophy gives a glimpse of uh, uh, thing in lot of English books are available but uh, for a beginner this should be a good one Dr. Radhakrishnan's uh, uh, S. Radhakrishnan's book our, mm. so uh, many of our freedom fighters were great scholars right so uh, most of them are great writers also that's what uh, what is unique about our freedom fighters no? they were great scholars and writers whether it is Radhakrishnan or uh, uh, Nehru or Ambedkar, all of them have written so many books. Or Gandhiji has written so many books. So many of them, no, from Srinivasa Shastri to so many of them have written. Rajagopal Ajari has written books. So many of them have written very deep books. In fact. Mm. So this is one thing which, uh, uh, there are other books, but initially I said it, it will give you a glimpse of uh, Upanishads. Right. Uh, Radha principal Upanishads also is there. Okay. Which also, that, that is another book. This is, This also could be a good beginning for getting a glimpse of what is Upanishads. Don't go in search of science. Go in search of idea. Don't go in search of uh, atom bombs and flying machines. In that. <laughs> I think that's a good recommendation. And what do you have planned as um, author Anand Nilakantan? What do you have in the pipeline that people who've read your previous books can look forward to? Uh, one children's book is coming, then one non-fiction uh, self-help book is coming, which is called the Asura Way. That is mm-hmm. the materialistic Indian philosophy, how to live life like Raksha, Asuras. Mm. Uh, the contrarian approach, uh, why uh, greed is good, why ambition is good, why you should not be contented in life. So this, I'm just giving the perspective from the other side, uh, where all the gurus are telling you know, that you should be what all gurus are telling, I am giving the Indian, ancient Indian thought, uh, which had always uh, celebrated life. So the Asura way, that is coming. I'd love to then have you I, back on the podcast when that book is out. I'd like to read it and I'd like to get your um, wisdom on that way of life. Because everything you hear about now is authenticity, simplicity. And I hear a lot about that on this show when I talk to people. But I'd love a contrarian um uh, position on this and where we're headed if we do um, you know just pursue everything material and where will that lead us and where will that take us <laughs> excellent so then, this has been then there are films and shows which are coming up so all those things are that's a lot of body of work that you know I think you've spent your 
time working on. So thank you so much for educating me, enlightening me. And uh, uh, I'm sure everyone listening has also, you know, got insights into things that they thought they knew, but hey, clearly not. So I appreciate it, Anand. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.